Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is in conversation with Addie Gundry, CEO and founder of Pluey. All right, welcome everybody. This is Alex Tiersch, and this is Medical Spa Insider. Um, appreciate all of you listening. We have on the AmSpa hotline today um, the lovely and talented Addie Gundry, CEO and founder of Pluey, which is a company that I would I can't wait to tell everybody about. It's a little bit different from what we normally feature on the, um, this podcast because it doesn't explicitly have to do with aesthetics. But um, Addie and her uh, partner and co-founder, Brittany Heiser, have created what I think is a really exciting product that I learned about through a, a mutual friend of ours that is um, that is a baby changing table that does all sorts of cool things. I mean, it not only does it like UV light clean the whole thing, it'll come in and like clean your house eventually, change your spark plugs, everything like that. I mean, it's a really cool thing and I'm exaggerating. But um, so I, I thought it would be great to bring her on because um, they both have started this company from scratch. It is, um, they've gone through a lot of the same things that a lot of you folks who are listening have gone through and it's a really cool product. And I think also it might have some real, some real utility um, in, in our space. So Addy, uh, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for, for joining us. How are you? Thank you, Alex. I am great. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah, no, me too. So I, um, I want to make sure that I um, don't totally screw up kind of the nature of the business. So I, I, I would love to get into it both because um, I think it's a cool product, number one, but but also just the kind of the way that the the product was 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 come up with. I mean, you're a you're a mom. You're just you're a, like a normal person, like the rest of us. You're not someone who's been slaving away in Silicon Valley trying to build a business. You're someone who came up with an idea kind of on her own. And I would love to get into that. So so tell us a little bit about what Pluey does, um, and then we'll get into how you came up with the idea. Okay, perfect. So. Pluey is the world's first and only self-sanitizing diaper-changing table for public restrooms. There are more features than the self-sanitizing one, um, but certainly that has become the most attractive and intriguing one when we talk to customers, when we talk to parents. And so you open the table, change your baby, close it, and within 60 seconds, the entire surface is sanitized. These changing tables are for public restrooms. Um, there's, there's sort of one big market leader everyone kind of knows and sees out there. Um, but what we found is that changing tables that currently exist in restrooms haven't changed much since the 80s when they were correct, invented, um, which was a great invention at the time. And certainly as a mom, we're thankful that they do exist. But what I saw was an opportunity to really change it. And so... Um, the table, again, it's self-sanitized, but in addition to that, it has a plush foam cushion, so it's a much softer space to put your baby. It has multi-purpose handles. You can put your diaper bags, backpacks, purses on them, so you're not putting them on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then we have a tractable security strap that goes back into the system. What we found was that a lot of parents don't use the security strap. You're required to have one for safety and certification purposes, mm-hmm. but we found that they're often broken. They're missing. They're stuck behind the ledge. Or, you know, your child is on the table and it's grabbing it and sticking it in their mouth. And so we thought, let's put their security strap 
back in the system in our sort of cleaner zone, you want to use it comes over the baby's belly and hooks on the other side, not clipping in the middle. And then overall, I'm a little biased, but uh, our design aesthetic is really quite beautiful. So it's a it's sort of that apple-esque white and navy, uh, and it's really much more of a modern approach to changing a t- changing a diaper in a public restroom. That's it's that's that's a great description in. Um... You know, in thinking about it, and this is why I was excited about this when I first when I first heard about it, like the the changing tables that I see in restrooms, I'm always just kind of like, ugh, like you know, you know, they're they're you know, you see them in men's rooms certainly, but but I, I can imagine in, in in women's restrooms it's kind of the same kind of thing. But um, the 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 UV light issue, the 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 self sanitizing nature of it, to me that just seems so obvious and intuitive. I can't believe that that didn't exist already. Um, how did the idea for this come along using UV light number one? And like, this is not something that, that you're right. I mean, there's a, there's a a brand out there that you kind of see everywhere. Whenever you go to any of these big box stores or anywhere, how did this come about? Like, what was the genesis of this idea? And and then the, the use of UV light and 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 kind of step, stepping into um, a, a market that's already dominated by a major player is is something that's 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 challenging. So I'd love to to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, great question. It is a little David and Goliath in some sense of mm-hmm. the story, but. You know, what you said in the beginning that was right is that everyone kind of goes into these restrooms and you, not everyone uses it, but everyone sees it, right? It's not right. even that you have to engage with it and you have yeah. this kind of... I almost right. wouldn't use it just because it's right. like, like And, you know, we talked to over 650 parents across the country using a mobile research app. And so many people, almost everyone said, you know, I'd rather go to my car. I might just leave the business. And what we learned, though, what was really fascinating, I'll get into then the origin story, but is that... People actually look at these changing tables and it's more than a table. It's a direct representation of that business or brands, you know, commitment to health and safety or guest experience. And so you're there, say you're in a Starbucks and you're thinking, oh, this table's kind of gross. You know, what does the barista station look like? And so what we found, it was fascinating that when you go into a restroom, it really matters because it really is a reflection of that business and their cleanliness. And so I had that same feeling, you know, I, I, this is, this is the story, but I have a, I have two kids, a two and a four-year-old. And when my son Cooper, who's four, almost five, uh, be he was a baby. It was my first time uh, out in public changing his diaper because he had a blowout. And we <laughs> were at a fast casual burger joint. Uh, we were actually at Culver's uh, here uh-huh. in the Midwest. And, you know, it was like 11 in the morning or 1030 when it opened. Because as new parents, you're like, your whole day starts really early. So it was like an obscenely early lunch. But, you know, we walk in and he had a blowout. And there was no changing table in the men's room. And so right away, I was kind of intrigued. You know, you know that's weird. Like, is right. that a thing? You know, because as a new parent, I had, didn't have experience with changing tables and never really cared. And so uh, my husband went, enjoyed his lunch. And <laughs> I went into the women's room. And after what felt like an eternity... You know, and I kind of spoke to the features of Chloe, but, you know, my, my diaper bag's on the floor. I'm dropping mm-hmm. things. You know, I'm trying to hold this baby, and I don't want him to even touch the table. And it was like, oh, my gosh, why is this so complicated? Mm-hmm. And so I got back to the table, and I literally said out loud, I think I can make a better one. And I was so curious to why 
that was the only one in the market and why it hadn't changed. Um, I now joke, I'm sort of lucky that I was overly optimistic and very naive because I've learned now over the past few years, maybe why someone hasn't tried to do this because it's hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not only yeah. building a product, but a business. Um, there's a lot of great ideas out there, but bringing an idea to life is a very different um, scenario. And so again, it was a Saturday kind of early morning we got back home and then when my son went to bed, you know, me and my husband really kind of sat up at night and like started Googling, you know, wow, there really is kind of one leader and it was an event in the eighties and, you know, stuff has changed, but not in my opinion, which is personal significant enough. And when we recognized then right away that night doing some quick Google searches that there are 4 million public restrooms in the United States alone, not even when you start to think of global implications of what this brand and business could become it was really fascinating to me. It was sort of everyone's looking for that white space innovation, right? And it's hard to find nowadays. And uh, and so that was a Saturday. And I, I quickly discovered that there were three values that I wanted to design fully against, essentially. Um, and it was that I felt that changing tables that exist today are uncomfortable. Uh, they're pretty inconvenient yeah. for people want to leave and go to their car or go home um and they're just they're really dirty right and so and, and what i've learned and everyone's learned is that whether they are dirty or not you think they are it's like it's yeah. really hard to you know, even for businesses in there constantly it's like parents just have this perception that it's not clean yeah and so i began designing Pluey um based upon the values of being clean comfortable and convenient so that's i'm fascinated by what you just said for a variety of reasons um First of all, I love that um, you you said you were a little kind of naive, which really I think you almost have to be in some ways to start a business in a, in, a, in any kind of a marketplace. But but to do it where you're doing it, you really have to kind of have that kind of idealistic naivete where you're just like, oh, I'm going to do this; it's going to be great, and you not really realize kind of what the pitfalls are. But what was I mean? Thinking about it. Um, thinking about the product and thinking about the the opportunity is one thing. Even researching a little bit is one thing. Taking that next step and actually saying, "Okay, we are going to do it," is a whole other thing. Number one, because um, you know you've you and your husband presumably have other things that you're doing. You've got a, a two year old and a four year old. You've got kids. You've got jobs. You've got responsibilities. Launching a whole research and development project, which is really what you're doing, which is different than kind of our industry where we're, you know, a lot of the the R&D has been done. We're opening space and we're providing services. Creating that product, which is a new product from scratch, is incredibly daunting. What was the kind of the, the final thing where you said, you know what, we're going to go for it. We're going to do it. And what, what what's the journey been like since then? Yeah. And, and naive is, is really the, the right word because I had no experience in product development, in launching a business. And so you, you, you were an entrepreneur already? You were, this was a brand new thing to you? No, and I, I've had an entrepreneurial spirit uh, since day one, and I'll, I'll speak a little bit to my career prior to Pluey, yeah. but it really then makes sense as to why this was such a, a departure um, from my skill set. And what I've always believed from as a, as a young child was that, you know, the ability to learn and the power behind the desire to learn new things is is more valuable than knowing something. You know, I've always believed that, especially with today's resources, you can teach yourself. You know, I did not know how to file taxes. I didn't even know when my S-Corp taxes were due. And you Google it, right? Yeah. Like, I became intensely interested in UBC Light. And I used to bake cookies for a living. And I, I really feel like it's a message that anyone, especially an entrepreneur, 
has that spirit of, I can learn, you know, I can, I can figure this out. And so I knew nothing about changing tables. I knew nothing about baby products. I knew nothing about B2B business, but I had an idea. I was incredibly excited about the opportunity and then passionate about the space. And I think that was, was a big trigger for me because my, my entire career prior to Pluly was in the culinary world. And I obviously, I had one job that really resonates with people as sort of it makes sense with Indipluli in that mm-hmm. I was a culinary designer. I worked for a company and developed food and beverage products for large CPG groups, the next Starbucks beverage, Doritos potato chip. But as a designer, it was, they'd come to us, what should our pipeline be? I would come up with concepts and say, here you go, okay. good luck, go do it. And it was like the coolest job because then I didn't have to go figure out how to actually bring it to life. And so I had this innovation itch. I had a fabulous career in the food industry for 15 years, but I became a mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in addition to like this immense love you feel and, and the change you have, I was opened up to a whole new world of products and experiences that I'd never engaged with. And so I was just, I was much more passionate about this than I think I had been about other ideas I had in the mm-hmm. kitchen, even of like, what about an ice cream bag or something, which like isn't really life changing. And so I, I just, I think the passion, the ability and desire to learn, you know, I've never been intimidating, intimidated by something new. And so I said, and I was working full time in a test kitchen. And I said to my husband, let's, let's put in $5,000. And I'm very open with that number and transparent about it because Mm -hmm. I like, because that's a lot of money, right? It's not like it's nothing, but it's not a lot of money in terms of launching a product. So it was like, okay, let's be committed to this. Let's actually really see if this is a, if this is a viable business model. And what I wanted to understand was, yes, there is this piece of plastic that hangs off the wall. I have these ideas to make it better, but can you actually make it better? And so I hired an industrial designer and an engineer and actually a woman who did our logo and branding. And I'll never forget having a logo before Mm -hmm. an actual product, but it was important because again, from day one, I had this vision of creating something better. And it was important to me from day one to create it better and have parents and businesses start to recognize what Pluey was over what other products in the mm-hmm. restaurant space were. And so um, I was able to tap into my network from working in the, the design yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, and so that was that was a nice sort of way, especially here in Chicago. I worked out of M-Hub, but I was working full time. I was working in a test kitchen. I had a toddler at home. Um, I was my making goodness. 40 recipes a week. And then kind of the whole nights and weekends story um, I, I was just pursuing this on the side with these designers and it became more and more real yeah. and more exciting the deeper we got. And it started to snowball in some sense when it was like, oh my gosh, we can yeah. clean this within 60 seconds. With yeah. So was that like the, was that kind of the, I mean, obviously you, you, you would, you would research it a little bit, but when you, when you figured out the cleaning and the sanitizing part, was that kind of when you were like, you know what, this this might be something. This is something that we could actually not only build but sell and build in a way that's going to be saleable, right? So it's not just can you build it. If it costs a million dollars to build, you're never going to be able to sell it. So that that must – I mean was there that moment? Because that one – that moment that people have when they realize, okay, this is this is it. Um, is always, it's, it's, it's so exciting but it's also terrifying, right? <laughs> Yeah. And especially when you know nothing about UBC Live. Um, it really was because it was, I knew right away we could make it more comfortable, more convenient, prettier. Right. You know, you can do that to a lot of things, right? And, yeah. and so, and those features are really celebrated, you know, because they have become 
uh, other there's other utilities to them in some sense. Are, are cushions easier to clean? And, and there's you know there's all sorts of things. But I think when I realize okay, if I'm really trying to attack a problem, if I really believe there's an opportunity to make this better, what is the one thing it, that needs to change? It needs to be cleaner, right? And and yeah. so when I when we recognized that the table could sanitize itself. That was the moment of this product will really stand apart in the market. Mm-hmm. It will be worth a premium price point. It will be worth someone at a large organization taking my phone call. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think if it was like, oh, we have a nicer changing table. It's prettier. It's more comfortable. X, Y, Z. You know, yes, I think we still would do well with the product. But really, the ability to say, look, everyone feels like they're dirty and ours sanitizes itself. Yeah. And mind you, though, this was pre-COVID. So this is 2018, um, you know, and then, you know, 2019 was when I filed my patent, still pre-COVID. And what's happened, obviously, is health and safety, this sort of heightened sense of awareness around it has accelerated it. But I think it's it's fun to think that, you know, it it was not a COVID idea where people assume right away, like, oh, you know, I'm I'm out of COVID. It was like, no, no, you know, it, it was something that I recognized a while back that these need to change. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so at this point, are you, um, first of all, you, you, you just, you've, you've done some, some fundraising, which there's, there's folks out there in our industry here doing that, which is incredibly, I know from experience, difficult, stressful, um, you know, exhausting because of all the, the talking and the presentations, but, um, where are you right now in the business and, and, and like, have you quit your job? Are you now working full time for this? What's the, what's the status? Yes. Okay. So in 2018, summer of 2018, I have the dirty diaper at Culver's. There's yeah. the idea. And for about a year, I did this on the side, right? Nights and weekends. Summer of 2019, a year later, I am nine months pregnant with my daughters, my second <laughs> child. And I recognize the need for serious capital. You yeah. know, my husband, I, trust me when I say it kind of a snowballed on our end because it got more and more exciting. You want to file yeah. a patent. I was still working. And that becomes more expensive too as you do that. Yeah. Very expensive. Yeah. And, and we were fortunate enough to um, leverage a, a small business loan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was scrappy ways to do it. But we then recognized, okay, I'm going to need hundreds of thousands of dollars in tooling, right? Just to even produce the product. And what's hard about the product in a big product like this is that it was really hard to test the market and validate if anyone wanted to purchase it. You know, yeah. what was I going to show someone a piece of paper? Yeah. So you have to really, you know, invest in it. It's a very capital intensive period before you even know if you can get sales really. And so it's risky, Yeah. but it was there and it was really groundbreaking. And I believed that. And so I said, I will have my daughter and I have six weeks of paid leave from the kitchen. I was working in wow. I can half a million dollars. I will quit my job. And so Claire was born on a Friday. I talk about fundraising while exhausted. Um, (laughs) A few days later, I have a picture of the two of us in my laptop. And I started raising through friends and family. And so in six and a half weeks, I raised $615,000. Wow. All with um, just sort of, again, that passion and and not to go down this mother route. But I used to have this guilt. Oh, my gosh. I spent... Um, you know, like all of that time where I should have just been like staring at her and rocking her. I spent it raising money. But <laughs> in that she was always on my chest in one of those carriers. And I'm just like pacing around the house with my earbuds, like telling people about Chloe, telling people about Chloe. And I know she could just like feel that in me, feel and she was truly against my chest. And so 
I just feel like we have this, this bond. It's like, she gets me and, and I get her. Like she was, Cooper was the inspiration for the idea and Claire just sort of brought it to life. And so, um, I raised 615,000. Which is amazing. I, I mean, in and of itself, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, thank you. Really, it, it that's really, so cool. Yeah. I think it was one of the biggest just accomplishments really in my career of that, just feeling the support and excitement through people um, and believing in the idea and my ability to bring it to life. Um, it's an incredible honor. Um, it's also intimidating to have um, capital raised through friends and family. Yes. Uh, it's like your neighbor over there looking at you, like, yeah. are you working over there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, Why aren't you at work? Why aren't you working? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I quit my job in January of 2020. And uh, okay. so about two and a half years ago to pursue this full time. Yep. And then perfect timing. Uh, COVID comes along and, you know, COVID comes <laughs> along. Uh, and it was a, it was a tough year in some sense because, you know, the world was upside down, you know, supply chain was crazy. We were about to try, you know, launch a product. Um, but what was fortunate for us, what it was sort of a developmental year, we had to go through the safety and certification process. Uh, we had to prototype and source our bomb and begin manufacturing. And so we weren't actively selling into mm-hmm. a market where, you know, restaurants were closed and this and that. And mm-hmm. so I, I met Brittany uh, in March of 2020. Uh, oh, it was okay. one of the, like, let's meet for coffee. We were introduced to our mutual mom friend. Mm-hmm. You know, should we meet? Like, what is this pandemic? You know, it was one of those, it was like right before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We ended up spending like the whole day together. And I knew right away she would be a great person to join the team, to work with me, to bring this product to life, to launch it because of her background in product development um, and and what she had done in her career. She spent 15 years at Brunswick um, with Life Fitness, treadmills, fitness equipment, and then pivoted to Crestliner. And she was the president of that brand. And so I felt with my experience in marketing sales um, and innovation, hers in this side of things together, we could really do it. And so... She joined, um, and then in 2021, we spent a year developing this. Last year, in about March of 2021, we launched Chloe into the world. And yeah. so Chloe is now in 20 states nationwide, and That's it's been a year with our yeah. product and you've gone through a whole nother um, round of fundraising to for, for kind of the next stage of growth. Um, I think you, I, I, I have a bunch of – I'm so curious about a, a couple things – um, one that I want, and I want to draw it back a little bit to our audience because I know um, most of the entrepreneurs and most of the patients in um, medical aesthetics are, are women. And it's, um, you know, obviously it's, there's so much that goes into starting a business on its own. When you think about, I'm just thinking, but we're, my wife and I are watching our three nieces, one of whom is six and we're watching them for a week. And just for a week, I'm just like, Oh my Lord, like how does anybody get anything done? Um, over the course of a, of a week. And you launched this business while you had a small child, gave birth to another child during it. I, I just like, and what does that mean? I mean, what's the, like when you look back at your journey, what's the kind of the, the wisdom that you can impart to other women out there who might be listening that might be wanting to start a business, but are nervous about the time, nervous about finances, nervous about everything that you're going through. Like at some point you've just got to, you've just got to go for it. And I'm just so impressed that you were able to do this when you did it. And then not to mention, Oh, by the way, there's a pandemic going on the whole time too. Like, what's the, what, what do you think looking back on this? What, what, like, are you just kind of impressed and amazed with what you've accomplished by yourself? 
Well, thank you. I, I hope my husband is impressed and amused. I mean, well, he um, should be. No, I'm sure he is. He, <laughs> he, he for sure is. <laughs> it is. You know, I do. I think, you know, and it, it, this is this was and remains risky for me. You know, I think that's an important message I'd like to share is that it wasn't coming from a place of, oh, this, I'll just quit my job and see what happens, right? You know, right. this is our livelihood. This is my, my kid's future. Uh, and, and so it's very risky. You know, I didn't take a salary for a year and a half. I didn't start paying myself. It's like, this was a very big um, commitment and burden on our family. And I think that something about that really helped me drive it forward. You know, everything I feel I do, I am, I want to be is for my kids to see and to show them if you work hard, again, if you learn, you know, you really can accomplish a lot. And so it felt like sort of from day one, I think the risk of leaving a salary job, you know, leaving a career yeah. in food that I was very successful in um, was incredibly intimidating. But then there was something really motivating about these little children who needed me to feed them, right? It was equally like, oh my gosh, I think I'm doing this yeah. with babies. You know, I should be in this stable job. But then on the flip side, like I see them every day and it's like, I better do this. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's, I think what's really hard as, as a mom in general still, you know, people always ask me, how do you do this all day long every day? And, you know, I've learned to juggle. I wake up very, very, very early uh, work before they wake up, et cetera. But, you know, it's, it's really hard mentally. It's like, it's, you can't shut off the mom brain. So I'm working. Well, and, you but, can't, and you can't shut off the founder business brain either. Right. <laughs> right. And I always say, you know, I don't work around the clock, but I'm, I always feel I'm thinking around the clock. It's like, you know, I have to stop. I have to go get my children. I have to put them to bed, right? There's no, yeah. like, I can't stay on my laptop. Um, and so I think it, it, it is overwhelming, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely thing. I mean, I think, again, women and parents really feel the sort of the mental capacity can get yeah. to be a lot. But. Well, and, 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 and how do you feel being, um, and, and, and talk about, uh, being um, being a, a female founder and a, a woman CEO, how has how has that been? Have you noticed it's been different? Has it been easier? Has it been harder? Um, what's the what's the takeaway there? Good question. So in 2019, when I raised, a VC told me, looking at my pitch deck, that I should add my husband to the team slide because it would help. Really? So, so it didn't just say, yeah, you know, me, I'm doing this, but bring on your husband in the, in the deck, you know, he has a financial background. Now, was it because of his financial background or was it because you need a, you need your husband as part of this? You know, I'm hoping it's because of his financial background, but you never know. It's tough to, yeah. Exactly. But, you know, I think, I do feel like nowadays, like being a female founder is like pretty sexy, right? It's like, (laughs) people love it. Like they're supported. Uh, I think there's a lot of funds trying to really bring that to life. And so I I felt really empowered. Last year, um, I was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top female founders to watch this year. So it was a really exciting award and accolade. Um, I I feel again very empowered by being a woman um, in the startup culture. I'm certainly not, you know, the majority. I would say, but I've definitely felt it to be more inspiring than anything. I think there's all these women's groups that we're part of. That it's like, you know, there's this camaraderie around it. There's a lot of female founders that, you know, especially in my industry, that help each other. So I found it to be really um, exciting. But I think, you know, there's still the statistics out there of kind of like where capital is raised and, and from who. And I've been very fortunate, too, that all of our capital raised to date has been through individuals. Mm-hmm. We've raised almost $4 million now. And wow. it's been through 
keep it within our personal and professional networks who again believe in in the idea and so no big institutional money where you're you know being forced to do various things that's amazing um well, congratulations. That's just so, that's, that, that's, that's so exciting. Um, wh- one of the things you mentioned earlier <clears throat> that I, that I, that I'm curious about is like, like many of the folks in our industry, you, you didn't, you know, maybe you had the entrepreneurial spirit, but you didn't come from, you know, heavy business background. Like, you know, in a lot of the startups, you know, in tech and, and, you know, you see these folks who are, you know, Stanford MBA and they're just, you know, their, their whole reason for being is to create a business, right. And be a founder. Um, and, and like many people in our industry, that's, that's not really where you came from. You had, you had a successful career, had this idea, something inside you was tugging at your, you know, your conscious saying there's something more out there, not only for me, but this is, this is the right idea at the right time. And I'm, I'm, I'm always talking to folks, you know, there's a difference between a good idea, which is maybe a gap in the market and the right idea for you, which is something that you can get behind. And this, this came together for you, but without having any of that business training in the background, you mentioned that you were eager to learn, but doing that and and being eager to learn and searching on Google is different than figuring out, okay, how do I build a business? Like, how do I do it? Like, how did you figure that part of it out? I mean, when you're researching on Google, like, what are you research? What are you finding? Where are you going? And and did you, were you able to get some mentors? Like how, how was that part of it? Because the one thing we see in our industry is there's such a, there, there, a lot of them are physicians and, and nurse practitioners, RNs, they don't have any business training. And so they struggle to figure out where do I go to find that kind of basic business training. And, and I'm curious how you, you got over that. Yeah. So starting out and just navigating, you're, you're sort of alone there. Like, Oh my gosh, how do I start a business? Right. And I think one of my biggest mistakes in the beginning was that I didn't tell anyone. I had this sort of fear of like, someone's going to take the idea. Someone's going to do it or tell my biggest competitor that I'm doing it or, or even like, Oh, people are going to think it's dumb and I shouldn't do it. And, And so for really like the first year and a half, I didn't say anything. I was just, I mean, I had these people helping me work on it, but um, it, it was really, I think, did me a disservice because the minute we announced sort of on LinkedIn and like on Instagram, I posted like, hey, here's what I've been doing. I was just flooded with messages and phone calls and texts of like, wow, Eddie, this is really cool. And like, hey, I know this person or hey, have you ever thought of talking to this person? And so not only was it like, you know, some excitement and some confidence boost of, of wow, I'm doing it, but people really reached out with other people that could help me. You know, yeah. you, uh, you said like, do you have an advisory board? Or it's like, yeah. how do you get people to teach you and help you just learn how to, again, build a business? You can hire lawyers for skill sets or engineers for skill sets you don't have, but having and meeting a network of people that can just help you kind of navigate growing a business and learning um, was really valuable. So I encourage people to, if you have an idea, um, you know, share it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that though, because there are a lot of folks and I fell into this category too, um, where you are nervous about letting people into your secret because the, because you're concerned someone's going to take it and someone's going to run with it and they're going to do it better than you. Um, that I think for you, that's almost more of a concern even than it would be for, for our industry because you are in a market where there is another major player presumably with lots of funding, um, probably doesn't want to have competitors, um, you know, and, and can outspend you and out litigate you to death if, you know, if, if it can be. So I don't think that's a small thing to admit that, that you're 
bringing it out there and putting it out there. I mean, and, and it's interesting that that's kind of one of the impetuses that, 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 that kind of got you going is because you were able to, you, you, you were then able to get more advice and get people on board. I mean, what, what else kind of advice for, for, if you can, for, for small business owners, uh, small business founders who are looking to get going, can you give from someone who's been through the trenches, at least for the beginning part? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sure there's probably a ton, um, but like thinking back on it, you just mentioned, by the way, you mentioned your Friday schedule, which I thought was really interesting. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, so we try and keep, or I try and keep my Friday, you know, all day if I can, but usually things stack up in the morning, but afternoon completely free. And uh-huh. it's not to, you know, sign up early and have a cocktail. Uh, it's so that, uh, which sounds good right about now, but it's, it's really that I feel like before going into the weekend, especially again, back to kind of being a mom and being a parent and, um, if I can just have time, you know, with my computer, my emails, my thoughts, you know, networking on LinkedIn, like how can I kind of wrap up the week um, and feel really positive going into the weekend where then, although of course, again, I'm constantly kind of on my phone and working and thinking, I really don't have the structure on the weekend to be at my computer. So I would say that's a great thing I've tried to do uh, and good advice. Some people I know do it on kind of Monday morning. So maybe yeah. the opposite or both if you can of like, how do you just block off time? But uh, you know, that's, that's a big thing for me as well as block time in general, just having, you know, two hours on a Tuesday and you put your phone away and you put, I mean, it's like no distractions, like turn off your Wi-Fi if you just need to work on something. So I think there's a, there's a lot of distractions in the world, but I've uh, done well if I'm like, okay, I'm going to just have this block time for yeah. me. And looking back on the first, you know, couple of years, what's, has it been a, has it been harder than you've, than you anticipated? Um, or what's the, what's the hardest thing about starting your own business that you can think of? Right yeah, now? I think that it's just that there's always something. And so it's like, we've had these big wins and then literally it's like, oh my gosh, you know, Target is buying tables. And then two seconds later, it's like the attorney calls because something happened or it's yeah. like, I mean, happen yet but you know like there's it's just like or oh shoot like our safety warning labels we have to order more and we don't have enough for you know there's just like yeah. i think the hardest thing is that it's just it's not sort of this in the movies of like you know oh my god pop the champagne this just yeah. happened it's just like one thing to the next to the next and there's just a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows and they all kind of happen at the same time and so if anything i've learned and advice to give is like celebrate any win you know and yeah. celebrate any high because there's a lot more stress and anxiety and lows and I found myself, you know, again, get this, have this exciting day. And then later be like, wait, I was just at Costco this morning, dropping off a table, right? For Costco to install. And then instead it was like, get in the car, get home. I have this side of that. And so I would just encourage, you know, to celebrate little wins um, because you should. And there's going to be a lot of times where you feel like, you know, you get the anxiety and wow, is this going to work? And there's a lot of spiraling and the wins help you. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. And it's something that a lot of folks have trouble with because um, when you're running a business, I mean, you're right. It's just, there's, it's impossible to turn off kind of, you know, the, the, the anxiety of, okay, this has to work. There's so many people that are depending on me. There's various things that are happening. I've got employees now, you've got investors, you've got children, you've got husbands, you've got all that. Um, To be able to, to take a step back and look at, things that are successful not only does that help kind of your your just your mood but it, it really it, it helps kind of drive you it gives you energy um really good point and and a lot of people don't 
have trouble doing that. I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard to kind of segregate your, your, your kind of the, the, the concern of running a business and, and, and then looking at the success. I mean, look what you've already done. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I don't, I, t- I will tell you straight to your face right now. I do not have any regret. I have learned a lot. We've made mistakes, but as an entrepreneur and every entrepreneur knows you are building an airplane while in flight, you know, yeah. it's like you are just making decisions in the minute, like you are reacting to things, you are making choices that yes, I can look back and say, should we have done that two years ago or should we have waited or whatever? And those can be mistakes, those can be lessons learned, but it's not regret. And I, I really believe entrepreneurs need to remember that and like hold it in their heart moving forward because if you start to regret things, you're going to start to really get down. And instead, it's like, we have made active decisions that made sense in the moment. We've learned from them. Some have been big successes, some perhaps not. But I think entrepreneurs have the spirit to feel confident in saying this, and I do. And just a reminder of like, do not regret things. Just learn from things because you got to just move forward. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you keep your sanity? Like you've got all <laughs> these things going on. I mean, how do you? Nice you think I am. I, I mean, here. well, you you appear to be fairly sane. I mean, of course, um, but I know what you mean by that. But like the you know the we talked a little bit about this before, but like the, the be able to compartmentalize your family life, your kids. But it, again, it never like you've just raised four plus million dollars. You've got, you know, you've got contracts and you've got, you know, you've commitments to places like Target and you're in Costco. And like that, that is such an overwhelming kind of um, not a burden, but it's an opportunity. Right. And that opportunity is, is there. Like it's it's got to be really tough for, for you, someone with young kids to be able to. To, to kind of take a step back and, and, and enjoy it. Cause I, you like scheduled, you block time for that, like block time to enjoy myself. <laughs> no, that's a great question. Um, you know, one thing that helps me give some advice to is, you know, having someone working full time with you really does help. It's like, mm-hmm. it's hard to get at it alone. Um, yeah. Just live and breathe it. And of course my husband, I can tell him everything that's going on, but he's not, he doesn't understand it the way I do. And so it's really nice having a partner, having colleagues who are just doing it with you. Mm -hmm. I think that makes you a little more sane than if you're alone. Um, so I'd encourage people if you have, if you're starting out something, how do you bring on, whether it's not a a partner or someone, just an advisor, like, you know, whatever structure you want it to be, but that's been helpful for me. Um, of course my husband's supportive, but again, he just doesn't know everything that we're doing. Um, I will say, you know, I still love to cook. Um, and so, you know, at least spending time doing that. And I found, um, you know, I think I find inspiration and relaxation in sort of silly things. And, and I think there's nothing to be ashamed of that. It's like, if you want to go shopping for an hour and that makes you like take a break and have time for yourself, do it. And so mm-hmm. I just say too, it's like, it's not, about, okay, make sure you exercise, make sure you do this. It's like, what do you really want to do to kind of just like stay sane and unwind and yeah. whatever it is, is okay. I love planning parties and my children's birthday parties. I worked for Martha Stewart for a few years when I worked in food. It might be silly. It might be the opposite of being a badass entrepreneur, but I will tell you what, when I need a break at like late at night, I just can look at Pinterest at like balloon arches and I don't care how dumb that sounds because that keeps me sane. And so (laughs) I think just like celebrate what keeps you kind of happy and sane and it doesn't have to be what, you know, society tells you of like the exercise or this or that. Um, and and that's what really helps me as well. Yeah, no, I, I just, uh, I just drank tequila. (laughs) 
Come on. Well, well Brian, if we're close enough to say that, then that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I just have cocktails, right? It's like, can't totally wait till that helps. Friday uh, afternoon plays up. Cocktails and cannabis is what we call it on Friday afternoons at about two. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, what, um, first of all, I was going to ask you, what does Pluey stand for? What, what does that mean? What, what's the, what's the name behind that? So Pluey means rain in French. And yeah. then Cara Pluey means umbrella. If you see in the logo of Pluey, there's a raindrop in the eye. Um, it's certainly not um, baby related, but I, as I mentioned, I had a culinary career. So I dropped out of college to attend culinary school. No one thought that was the great idea, you mm-hmm. can imagine. And especially over 15 years ago, being a foodie wasn't really a thing. You know, what are you going to do? Where are you going to work? And I wanted to do it quickly. I wanted to learn how to cook. I had this vision of building a career in food. And because I loved it. I loved learning. I was fascinated why you can stick your hand in a hot oven, but you can't stick your hand in the same temperature water, right? It was like what the physics behind being burnt and temperatures. And it was like very scientific and interesting to me. And I'm so, going gonna, gonna to think about that one for a while today yeah, now. Wow. It's the same temperature, but it's, just, it's very fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just loved food. I loved Martha Stewart. I and mean, I loved entertain, the entertaining aspect of it. And so I was really young and said, I'm going to go to culinary school. And I wanted to do it quickly. And I found a nationally accredited program in France, in the south of France. I spoke French in high school and college. So I was like, I thought I spoke French. And I'll mm. tell you what, when you get over there and you work in a kitchen, you realize quickly you don't really speak French. No. Um, but so I said, okay, I'm going to get student loans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go through this myself. I went for six months. And it rained every single day. Mm-hmm. And it was in May. It was like the, the rainy season. And I remember just like, cooking all day, being exhausted, trying to learn the language, et cetera. And it rained and it just felt so fresh and clean. Um, And then having this umbrella, this image of just feeling protected under the rain. And so when I was thinking, you know, I I left France, I worked for Daniel Balud, then Thomas Keller, went to Martha Stewart, so left restaurants. Um, But I went back to college when I worked for Martha Stewart. So in my late 20s, I realized, you know, I was always academic. I wanted to have a bachelor's degree. Uh, and so I went to NYU on my nights and weekends. So a similar story in the nights and weekends. But when I was thinking of a name for Chloe, there were three things that I cared about. So if, if people are kind of listening about kind of naming was one, I wanted to create a name that could be a brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, easier said than done, but think mm-hmm. of Yeti, right? It's like Chloe yeah. could be anything. We could yeah. have multiple products and services. Yeah, sure. So I wanted to be obscure. Um, I wanted it to sound sweet and feminine, you know, like, Someone once said it called sounds like pooey, which is fine, I guess. Pooey, pooey, I don't change it to. But kind of just wanted this this idea of it a soft name, and then I I wanted it to be meaningful to me because mm-hmm. you know every time I look at this, I just I think of that risk I took. I left college right to go to culinary school, and it reminds yeah, me of that. And so, sure. although it's not meaningful to anyone else might who might see it. I think it's this daily reminder of sort of why I'm doing it. And so, again, if you're not naming a business or, or a product, but in, if there's little ways and symbols you can do that in your company, it isn't, you know, even if you frame something in your office that's yeah. like reminds you of that time you did that. I just feel like it's kind of, I'm building something that I, I really just believed in um, and it's a reminder. I think, no, that's, I mean, that's awesome. Cause you're, I mean, you're the one who's, who matters, especially right now. I mean, once you're going, at, you know, once you're, cranking these things out and your your nation international it's you know the you can tell that story and 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 people can relate to it what what what's the what, what, one thing i wanted to ask is is obviously with with medical spas we're in healthcare but it's it's elective healthcare it's cash based it's not you know we're not hospitals we're not um what's the response been to the product um 
and 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 especially in 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 healthcare. I mean, what, how do you where do you see this going? I mean, do you see this more in kind of the big box stores, or or can you see um, you know smaller um, like med spas, places like we're doing? I mean, I'm, what's what's the ultimate goal? Yeah. So yeah, last year when we launched, I wanted to prove out that Fully really did belong in every market segment. It belongs in an airport. It belongs in a hospital. It belongs in a restaurant. Right. Mm-hmm. And at a small scale, we did. You know, we launched with 40 units. We now have hundreds. But it was how do we prove out that we really do have the opportunity to capture all these verticals in this massive in this massive market? And what we found, though, then we also wanted to learn, OK, maybe we could get one airport or 10 airports. But we want to learn, can we get a thousand hospitals, 10,000? Yeah. What vertical is going to be kind of the biggest for us? And from day one, it's been healthcare. It's been pediatric offices, dentists, it's been urgent care, hospitals. Um, and I really think like a med spa makes sense as well. Yeah. You know, parents, people are out. And again, once I even said earlier, not everyone uses it, but everyone sees it. And Pluie has become a representation of health and safety. And when you think of a healthcare setting, you know, it's just you, everything in that space needs to have that sanitization, that sterile, that feel for people to be comfortable in there. And so our conversations and sales with these, with anyone in kind of the healthcare space, medical space, it's like they get it right away. They get the technology, you know, they understand why. And I really think, you know, what's important to us is trying to bring fully to more of sort of that healthcare segment because people really care about, about this. Um, and that's exciting. And you know, one of the 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 questions that I had when we were originally talking was, um, you've got a, a product that so it's got this UV um, characteristic, so it's it's self cleaning, it, it it sanitizes within sixty seconds. You said, but it's something that kind of goes in to a restaurant and then it, or or a, a restroom and then it's there, right? It's not a rec- there's no recurring like you're not going to be replacing it every year, or whatever. What's the um, What's the thought behind that? Because that would be one of the things that I'm sure um, investors have asked. Just like, well, this is this is a one-time thing. There's a limited number of these that can be sold. H- how are you getting get, getting over that? And is there additional services that are offered, or what's the what's the the response there? Yeah, good question. For the customer, it's fantastic, right? right. The customer, wow, I can purchase this. We have a five-year warranty. You know, when you look at the price point in that sense, it's a phenomenal investment that, again, speaks to their commitment to health and safety. There's very little maintenance, you know, and, and so it's a phenomenal selling point for customers. And for us right now, that is really important because it is a new and innovative product. And they're like, well, are the bulbs going to burn out, right? We don't want to say, yeah, bulbs only last, you know, a few months, and then you have to service them, which on a business standpoint, we could make more money if we didn't have this repay right. revenue model. But we're trying to bring a product to, you know, a company that has never had to do any maintenance on the current ones that exist. And so we really wanted to try and match that. And it was important yeah. to sell. Um, in terms of sort of when we speak to investors or when we speak to the, the broader vision of Pooley, we are a product company. And in the past, we've tried so many things of like, how do we, you know, how do we do something? I put advertising on it that then mm-hmm. could be swapped out. And then we have another model on the table. And, you know, are there ways to, you know, ask new technology to, to make it something that we can constantly have touch points with that customer. But what I believe is that there is a big enough market for the table as it is and where we will become incredibly successful is building products beyond that. So we is going to become a product company to support parents on the go, whether that's other B2B products uh, that could go into restaurants or hospitals, et cetera. It's products maybe for parents on the go that they have in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the, the vision is 
getting the tables into the world and then bringing other products under the portfolio. And, and that's where we'll be successful. Yeah, that's, that's, and, and how, um, Talk about just just, just quickly because you know we've been talking for for going on uh, forty five minutes here the 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 process of getting in front of those like getting in front of Target right or Costco or an airport for God's sakes or anything like that it just like to me it's that sounds daunting and overwhelming but at the same time you know we one of the things we always say is how do you eat you know how do you eat a brontosaurus one one bite at a time right you just have to start chipping away at it but talk about that process like how did you get into and in front of uh, you know a, a business like Costco uh, uh, or or Target that's just this larger than life entity H- how did that work how'd that happen yeah B2B is hard I think especially with a you know a fixture of facilities for a restaurant yeah. right the one challenge kind of clue is is that like it's in a category that's not that exciting right it's like it's someone who's buying like you know, hand dryers and whatever. Yeah. It's like, whatever goes in bathrooms. And so, you know, we need to really present like, okay, hello, this is more than a changing table. Look what we're doing. Look who we are, et cetera. And we've done a lot of cold outreach. You know, I will say, I mean, we are in, have nine large national accounts across the country now, you know, including Simon Property Group, CBS, and they're piloting, right? Everyone yeah. starts a little slower. They start in regions, et cetera. But it's really been, you know, it's been cold outreach efforts and we've been ex- incredibly successful with it. I think just subject lines, I think, again, especially in the healthcare space, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this is neat, UBC, right? You know, technology. And so yeah. cold outreach has been, you know, amazing. I mean, Costco was a cold outreach and it was like, this guy thought it was interesting. And then I get on the phone and then I, you know, stop a little. I mean, I sort of joke at this point, I'm surprised Legoland doesn't have a restraint order against me, but like <laughs> we're in the now. So it's just a lot of persistence. It's a lot of LinkedIn stocking, um, uh-huh. again, back to that network. It's like, don't be afraid to just ask people. Like, it's like, yeah. I said, was friends with someone. It's like, hey, do you know this person at Disney? It's like, I used to work with you like seven years ago. You don't remember me, but I see you know someone at Disney. And it's like, I don't know, people, people respect that and like it. It's like, it's sort of this, I, I feel like everyone's kind of come together even in the next last couple of years. Like, how can I help you with my network across yeah. the country? So it's been just a lot of, honestly, just kind of hitting the pavement on the digital side. It has been different in, you know, a COVID world of we're not traveling as much. We're not, so I can't just go to DFW with a table and be like, can I show you this? Yeah. Um, so it's a little trickier, but uh, it's just been kind of navigating who the decision makers are. And I'll tell you one thing I've learned too, is that, you know, don't take no for an answer because mm. in large organizations, there are 30 decision makers maybe, right? right. You need just one advocate who's like, I think this is cool. I want to try it. And you could get to a few other people before that who are like, I don't really want to deal with this right now, right? Or it's not a priority for me. And so that's one thing I've really learned is that, you know, some of these accounts have taken us a year because we just had to find the right person. Mm -hmm. And that's a good lesson in general, the persistence of like, you have these low lows and low lows of, hey, that person said no, but that does not mean that company's going to Yeah. Now you've mentioned LinkedIn a few times. Is that where you're doing a lot? I mean, in our industry, LinkedIn is is big, but... Instagram is kind of where people are connecting with one another because it's a very visual in- industry. Um, is, is, is LinkedIn kind of where you're doing a lot of your, your networking? Is that where you're, you're getting a lot of your, 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 your legwork done? Yeah, I love Instagram because it's, it's a fun outlet. It's yeah. fun to share with, you know, our social channels. And we do a lot on Instagram. Um, and it really helps actually just show like people I talk to are like, wow, you guys are everywhere. And it helps just build the brand, right? Um, and we're trying to get more people to share them when they see Chloe yeah. in the world. But LinkedIn's been great for us. I think just to, sh- to connect with like people in the UBC world and people in facilities management. I mean, there's just 
you know, I'm entering a space where it's like, you know, I'm on calls with facilities management teams. And it's like, wow, I never, I mean, again, I used to cook. It's like, it's a whole different world. So um, it's been helpful for us for sure. We need to get more consistent with posting. Um, it's one of those things that uh, yeah. ends up being the back burner, but you gotta, you gotta <laughs> yeah. stick with it as much That's as you right. can. So if, if, if folks that are listening, um, want to get more information on, on, on polluting. And first of all, is, is, is the UV light table, is that the only one that you have or do you have, do you have, is that the only product you're, you're, you have right now? No, good question. So we launched with a better, best strategy of having fully with the UVC light system and then the same table without it. So I've talked obviously okay. a lot about the UVC light, but we are seeing sales in the non-UV table for places that are required by law to have tables. You yeah. know, 15 states across the country need them. And they say, wow, I want to support a women-owned business. I love the other features. You know, this is a yeah. great table, really similar price point to the competition. Why not purchase Chloe? So we're seeing success in both. Um, and we are working on our sort of next product to launch hopefully this year. Uh, but right now it's it's the two tables. They both are, are just really incredible additions to restaurants. So if anyone is interested in learning more. Uh, we are we are looking to expand, and the goal right now is we just want more eyes on them. You know, we want more people talking about them and saying, "Look at what this is all about." So, so um, what's the you, you you mentioned you have the two products you have the the UV and the non UV. What's the if someone wants to install one of those? What's the what's the cost to them if if a med spa or a couple med spas wanted to to do that? Yeah, good question. So the Pluli with the UVC lights is twenty six ninety nine. Okay. And I mentioned, you know, it's a we have a five year warranty, and it's in our best interest to really support you, right? We do not we want our product to always maintain that cleanliness and that appearance, and so it's a very robust program. If we have any issues, we swap things out. We have had tables now in the field for a year and have had no trouble. Um, but when you think about it, twenty six ninety nine over a five year period, it's it's about forty dollars a month, and so mm-hmm. it's a really low cost to to really put out an impactful message. And so we've had um, really a great success with our price point. Um, and then the non UV is sixteen ninety nine, so it's a lot less expensive. It's more comparable to um, a thirteen fifty dollar one, which is sort of what other people are purchasing. Yeah. I'm sure I always try not to say names, um, but <laughs> it's. Um, the sixteen ninety nine and the twenty six ninety nine are our list price. You can purchase directly from our website, okay. which is fluly and uh, or you can just call me and I'll, I'll help you out. But that's uh, that's where we're at. And 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 just so because uh, someone's driving in their car, Pluie is P L U I E, right? Pl- Correct. Pluie dot com is your is the website. Go on there. Buy like I don't know six or seven hundred of these things because they're awesome. Um, yeah, go online. Call me four one four two one eight zero three three nine. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Just call my cell. I will get you a table. Wh- we'll drop that shipping's on me. If you if you mention this podcast, I'll uh, I'll send it free of charge <laughs> and we'll get you installed. <laughs> I can't I can't wait to um, talk to you about using that phone number and see how we'll see what happened after that. We'll see how, but just <laughs> real quick before we, um, um, sign off. And I realize I never asked this at the, at, at the beginning, the, um, the UV light, like, wh- like when you just explain, you know, kind of reader's digest version, high level version, how it works is like when you close it and does the UV light just kind of light up on the whole thing or does it swipe it across or what's the, what's the mechanism of action? Good question. So there are two bulbs. You, again, open the table, change your movie, close it. Those two bulbs turn on, and within the 60 seconds, they're dispersing light across that entire surface. Okay. And then it automatically turns off. So a read switch triggers it, turns it on, and then turns it off. And what's what UVC light does, or the simplest way I've 
kind of, you know, think of it is that it scrambles the DNA and, and so that that harmful bacteria is, is dead in some sense. It's like nothing on that can create harm to your children, to you. And so okay. if when you're testing for E. coli or MRSA or some of those bacteria that live on surfaces, it just, what you see light, it does is just, it kind of zaps it, scrambles it and creates it to be just an unharmful um, material now on that surface. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, this was awesome. I appreciate you taking taking some time. I know you've got a lot going on, and um, obviously you're 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 up to your neck in, in various obligations. So thank you so much for taking time to to talk to us. Um, Pluie.com is the website. Um, you've got the phone number. Hello, Use- sorry. Hello, Pluie.com. Hello, Pluie.com. Sorry, I'm glad you said that. Hello, Pluie.com or text message. You know, you've got her number now. It's great. Yeah, message me. <laughs> and um, yeah, thanks so much. We'll have to we'll have to have you back and 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 see and check in and see how things are going. But I appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you, Alex. And yes, again, message or call. Shipping on me. Drinks on Alex. Whoever mentions that, this. That's stuff. actually. Yeah pretty accurate normally so (laughs) thanks again for your time i appreciate it thank you so much thanks for joining us this week with the american med spa podcast medical spa insider this week founder alex tiersch was joined by addie gundry ceo and founder of bluey if you're new with us click on the subscribe button then receive new content when it happens leave a rating and a review See you on our next episode.